As Jan said, sometimes there are those moments in the life of Jesus when people come to him with a gotcha question. And this is just one of those. So we're going to take a look at this passage today. I want us to think about where we've been right now. We're in a series on discipleship. Discipleship is no matter what it means to follow Jesus, to live our lives as Jesus as would live it if he were us. And the ultimate God, the goal of discipleship is to love God fully, to fall in love with God and his beauty and his wonder. And so we're talking about how do we become those kind of people who naturally live that way. We recognize that it requires transformation, a transformation of our heart on the inside where God changes us, our thoughts and our attitudes. And so we present ourselves to God. We do things called spiritual disciplines. We present ourselves in the body to open our hearts to the transforming power of God. And so we, that's kind of the introduction to what it means to be a disciple. But over the next few weeks, and I'm not sure how long we're going to go, I want to talk about that, particularly in the context of politics. And the goal of this series isn't to tell you how to vote or even talk through particular issues, but to think through what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in the context of politics? We can talk about being a follower of Jesus at work and at school in many different ways, but what does it look like in a political context? And I suppose first we might want to define what do we mean by the word politics? All of us, when we hear the word politics, kind of get different ideas in our minds. And some of you probably even got a little uncomfortable in your seat when I even said the word politics because you're thinking, oh no, where is he going with this? But the word politics comes from the Greek word polis, which simply means city. And so politics is about our life together. Sometimes we hear the word politics and we just think of what's going on in Washington, D.C. at the big level. But politics is local school boards. Politics is libraries. Politics are trails out back that are managed by a local land conservancy. Politics is about zoning laws. Politics is about all those things that affect our everyday life, all the things that have to do with us living life together. So politics is all kinds of things. Politics is all around us. Even if we say, I'm not really into politics, you live politics every day. You wake up in the morning and the house you were living in or the apartment you're living in or wherever you're living in has all kinds of rules and regulations that were said about the way it was built. That's politics. You get out on the street and you drive down the street and there are speed limit signs. That's politics. If you go over that speed limit, you might get pulled over. That's politics. When you get sick and an ambulance comes to your house, when, a fire de- when you see the fire department going by, when you see a school bus going by, When you go down to the lake and the water is clean or the water is dirty, that's politics. And so politics is all of these things together. So I want to take a look at this story that we heard and help us think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the context of politics. So it's found, we heard the story in the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And so we heard that there were some Pharisees and the Herodians, these various different religious groups, and they came to Jesus. And we notice, first of all, that they came to Jesus, and Mark tells us, to catch him in his words. They came to try and set a trap for Jesus. And so as we think about 
the words, the questions that are asked and the answers that are given, we have to recognize, first of all, it's, it's a trap. And so what Jesus says is a response to this trap. And so what's the trap? They come to him and they say, first they, they kind of schmooze him a little bit. I mean, listen, teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. So they're kind of building him up a little bit, saying, oh, we know, we know you're a good man. So we have a question for you. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay it or shouldn't we? Simple question, right? So they're asking about this tax, and the imperial tax was probably a poll tax. It would have been a denarius, probably equivalent to about a day's wages. And it was used to support the Roman government. And so the question is, so where's the trap? Well, the trap is, if you ask a question like this, should we or shouldn't we? There's two answers, right? Yes or no. So what's the problem? The problem is if Jesus says, yes, pay the taxes, then it seems like he's supporting the Roman Empire. Seems like he's in favor of this group of people who are living and oppressing the Jewish people. And so if Jesus says, yes, pay the taxes, now he's on the side of the Romans. And he doesn't want to be on the side of the Romans because then people won't follow him. But if he says no, then he's defying the government. He's defying the government and which could lead to his arrest. He's saying, no, don't pay taxes. And so do you say yes and upset the people and tell them that you are loyal to Rome instead of loyal to God? Or do you say, no, don't pay the tax because, and then end up in trouble with the Romans? And so you see, the question isn't really an honest question, but Jesus knows where the people are going. He knows what they're getting at. This is Jesus knew their hypocrisy, but he knew I don't think it was some sort of divine knowledge. He just knew it in the question they asked. He says, why are you trying to trap me? He says, okay, bring me a denarius. And so they pull out one of these coins, and the coins would have been this simple coin. It would have had an inscription on it um, that talked and said, Tiberius, Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. And so there would have been this coin with a picture of the Roman emperor on it. And on it, it claimed that Caesar, that Tiberius was the divine son of Caesar. In other words, he was the son of a god. And so he says, okay, let me see the coin. They brought him the coin. He says, well, whose image is on it and whose inscription? Well, they say, it's Caesar's. And then Jesus responds, well, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's? So here, this one little response, he kind of traps, he kind of says, okay, he avoids the yes or no, right? He avoids the easy thing. But many have read this passage and said, there's something else going on and thinking about what's the relationship between being a follower of Jesus and the government, or even more largely, what's the role of government? And think about that. As you think about it, what is the role of the government? And there have been various ideas throughout Christian history, different 
groups of followers of Jesus have tried to think, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus and how do we relate to the government? We face a lot of challenges, right? One is, in the days of Jesus, he was living under an empire, under an emperor. We live in a democratic society or republic of sorts. There are various kinds of governments all around the world. There are some that are ruled by kings, some that are ruled by parliaments, some that have presidents, all sorts of different governments. So one of the challenges is sorting out how do we relate to these different kinds of government because we can't just simply take what was going on in Jesus' day and bring it forward because it's a different kind of government. The people in Jesus' day couldn't go and vote for who was going to be emperor. They really didn't have any voice in anything going on. So over the years, people have thought about different ways that Christians can relate to the government. Some have gone at one end to a very much like they want no part of government. So there's a tradition within Christianity called the Anabaptist tradition. And very much a standoff from government. And all the way kind of at the far end in the Catholic Church is a very much a support of the government and seeing the government as essential to human flourishing. And there's a kind of a wide range of areas in between. And so I want to think about it, but I want to think about government really, in my mind as I read, has kind of two functions reading through the scripture. One is to restrain evil. It's one of the functions of the government that God appoints government to restrain evil. The second thing that government does is it promotes flourishing. It promotes goodness and helps. And so if we think about it in our own government, I mean, those are kind of two central functions of government. It restrains evil. It keeps bad things from happening, whether it's criminals or whether it's fires or it passes laws to try and restrain evil. But on the other hand, it tries to do things to create a better society. And so as we look at what Jesus says here, what does he say? First of all, he says there's some things that are belong to Caesar and some things that belong to God. Is he simply saying that there are these two separate realms and they aren't connected? No, I think, again, reading one passage, we can't connect everything and say everything is in this one passage. But he's saying that Caesar does not have absolute authority. He's saying the government is the, isn't the absolute authority. But he is saying that we have a role as citizens. He's saying there's some part we play, but our highest allegiance belongs to God. And then he says, give to God what is God's. And the question is, well, what is, I mean, we know from the passage there's this coin that has Caesar's inscription on it or Caesar's image on it. So it's clear, well, what belongs to Caesar is this thing with his image, but what belongs to God? So if we think about it, what in the passage has God's image? If we go back to the beginning of our Bible, Genesis chapter 1, it says that in the beginning, God created man and woman, what, in the image of God, He created them. So what has the image of God? All of us. We have the image of God. And so what belongs to God? We do. And all that we do. And so Jesus is saying that these are the things that belong to God, that all of ourselves, in other words, our politics, our involvement in the world around us is part of our response to God. It's part of our discipleship. And so it's saying that our faith and our politics aren't separate. Sometimes we want to put those in categories. We even, you know, sometimes when you go to I was growing up, it's like when you go to a party, what are the things you're not supposed to talk about, right? Faith and politics, right? Well, but 
can we really separate those? Can we say, okay, here's this little box over here in politics. My politics are in this box. And over here is this little box. And my faith is in this box. And I think Jesus is saying no. Because our faith should affect all of our life. The way we think about the world affects all of our life. And so we can't separate out who we are as Christians from our political actions. So why do we participate in politics? And by participating, we're going to talk about what that might look like. But why do we participate? Because Jesus called us to love our neighbors. And so our love for neighbors, giving them the same care and consideration we would provide for self, is a participation in politics. We're called to promote justice and peace. And so we participate in politics because of that. So whatever we do, if the government is tasked with protecting us and rendering justice, then we have a responsibility to participate and make sure it happens. Whether we're protecting the unborn or we're supporting fair prison sentences or we're caring for the elderly or dealing with unfair housing, politics is advocating and loving and caring for our neighbor. That's what it means when we say our discipleship and our politics is that if we're going to be someone who loves our neighbor, if we're going to be someone who seeks justice, that's our politics. So the Bible has examples of that. Moses, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, all people who worked within a political system. Daniel served the king. And he worked within this political system. Did he always agree with everything going in the political systems? No, sometimes he stood up against it. Ezra and Nehemiah used the system, the political system, to help advance good and to help people flourish. And so as we think about it, there are different ways that we can work within the system we have. And so while we can look at the examples of the Bible, we can see those things and we can think, how can I, as a follower of Jesus work within the systems that exist where we are to promote love for my neighbor? How can I care for my neighbor through the systems that exist now? How can I make sure that there's justice being done? I think about some other examples from history. Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass was born to, um, into slavery. Um, we're not even sure exactly when he was born, roughly 1817. Later in his life, Frederick Douglass escaped slavery. He taught himself to read and to write, and he fought against it and went on to serve as an advisor to President Lincoln. Driven largely out of his faith, and he played a major role in helping the 13th Amendment, the end of slavery in the United States, come into being. You see, he lived out his politics. That was how he saw his life was to make a difference. Catherine Booth. Um, with her husband, founded the Salvation Army. How did she live out her life of discipleship? She advocated for exploited women and worked for the passage of a criminal law amendment act to protect women and raise the age of consent. She looked around and she saw injustice. She saw people being untreated, treated unfairly. She saw the way women were treated. And so she, out of her love of neighbor, and out of her desire to see human flourishing, worked hard to make a difference. Fannie Lou Hamer was an African-American woman who was a major part of the civil rights movement. And one of the roles she did, she looked around and she saw people and the struggle of many African-Americans to register to vote. 
And so what did she do? She worked tirelessly because of her Christian faith and her desire to see people change and have the opportunity to participate in the democratic process in this country. She worked tirelessly, including times in jail where she was beaten. I read some of the stories of her incarceration and I would encourage you to look up Fannie Lou Hamer and read some of what she experienced. Um, if you have a, like a lighter, queasy stomach, you may not want to read too much because what was done to her in some of these incidents is incredible. But she lived it out because she trusted in Jesus and she knew that there was injustice going on in the world, that people were being denied the right to vote. And so that was her part in politics. Or a modern-day example, Brian Stevenson. He saw in the criminal justice system that some people were treated unfairly, that the number of uh, people of color who were sentenced to death and death sentences were being carried out. He saw it, and so he formed an organization to battle against it, all out of love for neighbor. Now, those are kind of big ones, and we think, oh, well, I'm, you know, I don't know if I can do that. I'm not sure I'm being called to make sure. But we can also think about on a local level. Again, that's why we sometimes we think of, we have to think of politics as something not simply about what goes on in Washington, D.C. And in fact, for most of us, we can have a lot more impact locally. We can have a lot more impact on what goes on. We can look around in our own community and say, what are the things that are going on that are wrong? Where are the things that I can show love to my neighbor? Maybe looking around and saying, wow, there's not a lot of public transportation for people. How are people with lower incomes going to get around and get to places? And so you might work with your local government, with the mayor, to try and make sure that there's public transportation. It might be looking and saying, what are the other things that are going on? It might be looking and saying, there's a lot of pollution being dumped in this area. What can I do to make sure that our creation is being cared for? It might be within school boards and trying to figure that out. There are so many different ways, different opportunities to say, what's going on in our community? And what are the ways that I can live out my discipleship? How can I show love to my neighbor? How can I make sure that there's human flourishing? And I use this word to say, how can I make sure that people are living a better life? Where are people struggling? What's going on and what are the laws? What are the rules? What are the regulations that's making it hard for people to live? And what part can I play in that? Many of us may not found an international organization. We may not found denominations. But we could write letters to our senator. We could go to township meetings. We can think about who we're electing. And sometimes we get caught up even, and I've thought more about this, sometimes we get caught up in elections and we get so caught up in the president. But realize that there's a lot of stuff that goes on at our local level that the president has no control over. We have local judges that we're electing that determine what our local criminal justice system looks like. How our friends and relatives and neighbors go through a, a criminal justice system. We have township officials who set zoning regulations and, and control all kinds of things. How do we think about those things? And so I would encourage us as followers of Jesus when he says, 
our discipleship encompasses all of life. How do we love our neighbors in all that process? So I want to think about a couple things as we finish up. One is, and these are themes we're going to come back to a couple times, but the first thing is to be careful, and these are Justin Gibney who works for a um, organization called the Ann Campaign says this, he says, be careful not to put your win before your witness. Be careful not to put your win before your witness. And what I mean by that and what he means by that is sometimes we get so caught up in a political win that we want to make our, we want to get our side to win our vote that we forget that ultimately what matters is how people see Jesus in us. And so are we so eager to get our political... And sometimes the win might be a good thing. We might be advocating for a very good cause. But are we so caught up in advocating for the cause that we forget and fail to show the love of Jesus? The second thing, we're talking about this idea of spiritual formation that we're shaped and formed and we do spiritual practices. We read our Bible, we pray, we do these things to shape our interior life. But what James Smith says, a professor at Calvin College, he talks about how all of our life shapes what we do. All of our actions shape it. And so one of the questions is, how are our politics shaping us? What is forming us? What rituals do we participate in? What sort of media do we consume? What sort of discussions do we have? What sort of rallies do we have? Politics is really designed to shape us. As we get political ads, I mean, maybe it's just me, but I've gotten a few political ads in the mail lately. I don't, most of you may be like me and don't, you just see what it is and it goes straight from mailbox to recycling bin. But take a moment to read some of those if you want. And what I would suggest to you is many of those, at least many of the ones I've read, have a central message. And that central message is, be afraid. Be afraid that if I don't get elected or if my opponent gets elected, things are going to get really, really bad. And so there's this attitude of fear. And what drives us is they teach us, what politics can do is teach us what to fear or who or what to respect. It teaches us who our people are. It teaches us our loves and our loyalties. And so politics, participating in the process, if we sit and we watch cable news for hours on end, no matter which end of the spectrum, whichever news feed you're doing, it begins to shape who we are. We begin to think, oh, this is my team, and those are the other people. It begins to get us really afraid, and so much of what we do, and so that's all shaping how we think inside talk to people sometimes and they, they've been reading and they, they've sat and they've been watching the news and you ever experienced that? Maybe some of you are good and you limit your news content to just a few minutes a day. But if you watch the news for more than 10 or 15 minutes or you read stories about what's going on in the political world, if you're scrolling Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and you're hearing all these different things, Ever find yourself getting just a little bit angry? Yep. A little bit upset? You feel like you're doom scrolling. You're just kind of like, oh, what's the next worst thing? 
You see what's happening? Your participation in that liturgy of politics going in there starts to shape who you are inside. You start to get angry. You start to be afraid. You start to divide the world into teams. We're going to spend a whole Sunday talking about that, how easy it is to start to divide the world into teams and you're either on my team or you're on the other team, which is contrary to the life of Jesus. Because when we start to see people as the other, I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's, so that's another series. But so think about how our participation, so we get involved in politics, we be careful not to win, put a win before a witness, but we also think about how our participation can shape us. What are the rituals we're going through? But the question I want to leave us with as we go is to say, how can you give yourself to God what is God's? That was Jesus' words. Give to God what is God's. And that's us. How do we give ourselves to God and how in this world that we live in, in the political system, we, how can we give ourselves to God to show love to neighbor and seek shalom, seek peace and justice in the world in which we live? Jesus was caught in a trap here, but he also gives us wise words to think about. We have a world in which we live, and we're called to live in that world, and we've been created in the image of God. How do we give ourselves to God? And how, I would ask you, as you go through the next few weeks, and even recognizing the political process will continue after the election ends on November 3rd. There will still be politics because there will still be schools, there will still be fire departments, there will still be land conservancies, there will still be all those things going on in our local community. There will also be issues of national defense and all kinds of issues. It will continue on. But ask ourselves as a follower of Jesus, as I participate, how can I participate in a way to love my neighbor, and to seek justice in the world, to seek human flourishing, to see my neighbors live a good life. Jesus called us to love our neighbor as ourself. And we can do that in politics as well as anywhere else. Amen.